you know, everything learned in the last five, six years before that with speed machine boots and pro machine boots, having a really solid liner that was a full liner, but then making that it could articulate was, it's been a really revolutionary way of being able to bond everything that we do that's new, but in a package that worked for somebody who's looking for something a little bit different. fascinating are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only of the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? This episode is brought to you by Hike and Ride, the home of custom-fitted ski boots and where the ski shop comes to your front door. Book your appointment now at hikeandride.co.uk. Hike and Ride, adventure delivered. Hey, what's up everybody? Phil Gordon here and on today's episode of the Legends of the Brand podcast, we're speaking with Mark Taylor in part two of our conversation and he takes us behind the scenes on a really cool innovation that the Technica group are doing with recycling ski boots. You, you talk about, um, you know, obviously heritage and lineage and, and uh, over the years and um, I'm wondering from your perspective, I know you've obviously been at the company for, let's call it a decade, but uh, sure. what do you think has been the, the obviously tons of, tons of successes, uh, but what do you think has perhaps been the biggest setback that the company's potentially had? It, it's going to sound like I changed things, but I didn't. Um, definitely prior to, to me uh, starting working with Nordica, um, I wouldn't have known it, but um, the market would consider that it may have lost its way a little bit. So whether it was some of the designs on some of the skis in terms of like uh, visually or on some of the, the ski boots, how they worked, um, they just didn't quite capture the zeitgeist at the time. It didn't quite work for what the market was looking for. And uh, at the same time, other brands were being were taking that role of innovation and, and for pur- innovation for purpose. And so, uh, sadly, that you know, the brand took a real nosedive in the, um, you know, uh, post 2008, 9, 10, around there. It mm-hmm. stuff started to slide, definitely, no pun. Um, but the the big change, and in terms of how to deal with that. So uh, Luca, who now runs Nordica, he joined in 2014. Pretty much, we started working on the same day, actually. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to the, for my first day working with Nordica was taken by Matt, my boss, to the sales meeting where it was really about refocusing, remembering from, you know, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, this, what is it that people remember? Everything I just mentioned before, and then having laser focus. And as a result, the products that have come out off, off that um, kind of complete reconfiguration uh, are recognizable. They follow a theme and it's, it's shown, you know, we've not had bubble years for the last nine, 10 years, we've been slowly regaining the market trust Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's no denying there was definitely mistakes were made and and whether it was complacency or taking too much for granted i don't i have no idea i wasn't there um but everyone makes mistakes and and the biggest thing is about how you uh you know how you rectify those um and definitely you know wisdom wisdom of knowing what you should have been doing all along but with a constant mindset of innovation to make sure that you're not getting stuck in the past. It's 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 a and that's a hard thing to get right. Yeah, yeah, if definitely. You have, yeah, yeah. If you yeah, have a laser plan, though, it helps. Yeah, and also because if you have, if you have successes or you've had successes, uh, you know, you kind of 
chasing the dollar or chasing the pound, sure. you might want to, oh, well, we should just do what we did beforehand. Yep. So it's trying to keep that heritage, you know, the heritage roots, and uh, but still having innovation. I think your example of a Porsche is, is brilliant um, because, yeah, it's, you know, everybody will look at it and kind of know it's a Porsche. Um, uh, Ferdinand Porsche would, would probably look at it and kind of go, yeah, I, I know that's, that's, that's yeah. a Porsche. Um, if we think back to 1939, what what would you, the, the the team back in 1939, if they what were to be what would they see now? What would they see now? What would they see and recognize as being Nordica, aside from the logo? Um, I think that it's still a human-driven company. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a passion company. Um, yes, it's quite large. And, you know, the, the worldwide turnover is significant. But I can attest, having been to the headquarters, it is a relatively small bunch of people that actually drive the direction um, and there's people who are still as passionate about making product now as those guys must have been in the fifties, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, you know, so the people side of things, definitely, um, I'm trying to think about a specific thing, but as we were the first company, I think to invent the metal buckle, um, and that would probably be a 1950s, maybe late fifties, early sixties thing. Um, we've actually just been, you know, I've just been talking about aluminium buckles in a, in a meeting not that long ago. So there are definitely similarities there, but um, I think yeah, it's the, the passion of the craftsmanship mm-hmm. um, is, is probably the one thing I think you could definitely um, attest to. And people working for the love of it as much as anything, mm-hmm. you know, really, really doing a job and, and doing more than a job to make sure that they kind of get a project where it needs to be. It's a, it's a bit of a lifestyle. I would say it's a, a lifestyle company in terms of people work with it for for, for the passion of the of the brand, really. It, it, yeah, for for better for worse as well. You know, yeah. I think it's it's a marriage as much as anything <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, they, they they you really once you commit, the problem is you you get sucked in. You you find find it um, addictive. You want to know why something hasn't worked and you want to fix it. Or if something is starting to work, you want to really help push it. Or if there's a new idea, you want to try and see it start to finish. And to be fair, Giancarlo, who um, in theory is retired, but um, he's in his 80s, he is the driving force of a lot of ideas that that company has always had. Um, He was in, he popped into a meeting I was in in Italy. He doesn't really know who I am at all, but um, he was there to talk to someone else about ideas innovation product and you know having that person who's still leading the charge when this in theory i don't think supposed to be but that's you know to have that uh, driving force um that's exactly what you need for a company to survive like that that's uh that's 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 amazing you know somebody still wants to be not wants to be involved but obviously needs yeah, ne- needs. yeah needs, needs, <laughs> needs to be involved um so we were talking a little bit earlier on about some of the, the successes that you've had uh, as, as a brand mm-hmm. over the years. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the innovation and like that, and one of the, the topics, I think, of the last few years, I mean, obviously the, uh, the challenges of, of uh, lockdowns and all that sort of stuff, but you guys launched a product, which was the, uh, the hands-free and mm. uh, HF. And it, it was interesting because it was, some people look look kind of go oh it's very old school and some people kind of look oh it's very new and innovative uh, sure. innovative and uh, but it was it was uh, a distinctive product and I wonder if you could speak to it and speak perhaps to some of the innovations that you were uh, currently working on. I think HF's a perfect example actually of that. Um, you know, uh, wisdom meets innovation. 
So uh, the HF was originally was to try and um, look after a part of the market that in theory has not really been looked after very well for a long time. Rear entry boots, as they were once, were really popular and then they just kind of stopped. The four buckle boot came in and, and that changed everything there. But there was still a, there was, there's still people, I've seen them in ski resorts who will not change from their, you know, their Nordic or Salomon uh, rear entry boots. And there's, there's a question of why. Um, and it's comfort, I think, was one of the bigger things. Getting in and out of a pair of boots, for, especially as you get older, gets harder and harder. And there's a whole customer base who have the time, have the money, and are most likely going out skiing, who are good skiers uh, and have always been good skiers, but perhaps the body isn't you know, kind of keeping pace as it once might have done. Um, and having something you can put on your feet every morning really easily and still have a, you know, a good skiing experience mm-hmm. um, was was the goal of this project and that's where that innovation meets the heritage you know having the rear entry aspect means you can get a foot in and out of the boot in three seconds and you put a clip down and it's good you're done for the for the for the day now it's not necessarily the same in Burcom's performance as you might get from other four buckle boots that we make and we're not trying to replace those however from a convenience side of things that you know is undeniably easy to get in however the old product um it was two separate shells. The liner was two separate pieces. The fit wasn't quite what it should be. So um, we as a company had to come up with an idea, and I'm not going to take any credit for this, um, obviously. But uh, so the team, they were trying to design something. It required getting older guys who had actually retired from in Montebloom to come back because they were the only people who knew how to physically shape a mold for a, a rear entry boot because there wasn't the you know there just wasn't the experience in the in the workforce so that was one thing they had to find find again um but how to do it different so taking all of the you know everything learned in the last five six years before that with speed machine boots and pro machine boots having a really solid liner that was a full liner but then making that it could articulate was it's been a really revolutionary way of being able to bond everything that we do that's new but in a package that worked for somebody who's looking for something a little bit different um and it's you know it's not meant to be cheap and cheerful it's meant to be um an experience that someone who wants to have a good time and not worry about the pain of things uh has potentially been lacking and to be fair the market has reacted pretty quickly to it yes you're right some people kind of looked at it and thought well that's is that the right way forward but um it's it's been a real success story for the brand, which is uh, which is great. Um, and you know, I've had friends in the industry who've got in touch to get them for their parents or their grandparents, mm-hmm. and and that's one area. But the other thing that it, there's newer newer uses of this boot that seem to come out of the woodwork every week. People are using it to um, help solution fits where otherwise it's if it's a disability or um, or potentially from an accident or a birth where mm-hmm. getting in and out of a boot has always been a struggle. Um, certainly there's a boot on the market here where it's a good skiing product, but it's so much easier for certain people to get in and out of. And the best thing about boot fitters worldwide is once they get a hold of something, they will, you know, they will tweak it, they will test it, they will take it to the nth degree. Um, And we almost need to turn it into a transformer boot, really, because of some of the (laughs) requests that people send through. But that's great because it shows that it's, you know, it really got people in the industry thinking and if it's helping solve any solutions that otherwise were being missed then more to it I'm, I'm, I'm all for that um so yeah that, that one's you know that one's a, a grower and it was you know just had two boots in the range a few years ago now that's six seven eight eight different eight products wow, um so it, yeah and it's in theory it's a, a niche that didn't exist that mm. we have you know we've got so it's um 
yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to helping continue that that, that going. Uh, in terms of new, um, I mean, there's obviously new stuff I can't say yet, but the oh, you things can just that tell us. It's, it's just oh, you sure, yeah, it's just you and me, yeah. Um, but in terms of things that are on the market now, we've got new skis in the Women's Bell series, um, which have got a double core, which is innov- really innovative. Uh, two separate wood cores in the middle, changes the way the ski flexes. doesn't matter... Um, you know, if you're not the heaviest person, it allows someone to attack a ski that otherwise might struggle to make it flex properly. Um, and really changing how a binding sits on a ski uh, quite often to try and prevent, uh, and a lot of female skiers try and keep the center of gravity in a much more neutral position, the stance in a more neutral position, helping your ski on the ski better for your body shape and, and, and style versus a, a male body shape, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that that does make a big difference in terms of performance. Um, so yeah, the Bell series is definitely something I'm quite excited about for this year. Um, and we currently have the uh, Enforcer Unlimited and Santa Ana Unlimited skis uh, with one, one store in the UK, uh, which is a half the weight version of our really popular Santa Ana and Enforcer skis. Um, but with so it's half the weight, but still the same shape. So it's as much fun to go downhill on as it would have been on the the, the, in, the normal ski, but half the weight for going uphill on. So we've we've started to crack into the, the the somewhat busy but still you know competitive touring market a little bit as well. So um, that's that's and that that you know for my head that's more where I sometimes have a bit more fun. So it's because you, you love because you, you love your touring as well, don't you? you, you... Yeah, I, I really. Um, I do. I think it's, um, I'm not amazing at it by any stretch. There are people who are much better at than me, but I've found it, especially as a rep on the road, if I can, and if I'm in Scotland at the right time of year, uh, or even to be fair, you know, in lockdown, I skied in the Peak District here, to have <laughs> the ability to just try. And, you know, you need a bit of nous behind you doing um, really respecting that you are out there on your own and you know if you mess up or if something happens you need to know how to deal with that um so there's plenty of courses and classes that people really should take it's worth its weight in gold Uh, i'm fortunate that i've had a you know a fairly hefty education on that to start with but it just allows you to access uh a day an opportunity otherwise might not do but christmas uh 2021 um, when um, when France uh, banned us from entering uh, on the, the you know the eleventh hour as such, um, my wife and I we carried on. We were we made it through the border, uh, but my folks, my brother, was supposed to fly out. They didn't, but we were there for a week, and it was probably the first time that I'd had a proper holiday for a while skiing, rather than it being work related. But being able to use my touring skis as opposed to a lift, even on for half a morning or just something, just changed the relationship with how I was skiing. I've always felt, you know, touring just, it's just a, a switch. It's a different change, but a lot of people may find this winter ski resorts, especially in France uh, are really having to kind of appease that market a lot more. Uh, and I went to La Rosier and found that they'd actually groomed upslopes. So you don't, you know, and so that was a way of being able to try touring in a safe environment because you could use the piece for the way back down. Um, and see it from a fitness thing rather than yeah. you know anything else. So it's it's um, I think it's a smaller part of the industry, but it's uh, you know something definitely that's well worth anyone trying, but under the right circumstances. That's interesting that you mentioned that they're obviously a dedicated areas. So I, I can't remember the name of the resort, but I'm sure we've all been in them where you uh, you're at, you're skiing. 
and you're coming down the hill at a fair clip and you got some people coming up the hill at a, at a fair clip. Sure. Kind of, um, you know, they're on, on, on the, on the piece or on the side. And it's kind of, it's really, if you're, if you're not used to that, it's a very um, odd experience. Um, but it's a bit I alien. Think, yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, um, you know, it's going to be more and more people are going to get used to that, to seeing that. And, and uh, yeah, as I say, from a fitness point of view to get out and be active, you know, I think, I think it's wonderful. It's uh it's definitely, I mean, we've seen it as a growing um, trend across, across the industry. So, yeah. So we, we get out and do some of that, do you think this year yourself? Uh, yeah. Yes. hundred uh, um, yeah. percent. I mean, the, the, the only thing I, and you know, however big this uh, platform is um, my, from the experience I've had, just, I would recommend it to anyone, but you really have to um, get learned about it, I think that's the main thing. You know, mountain safety is is pretty much the number one thing if you're doing anything of that ilk. Um, where you may have some protection in place with a ski resort, um, mm. that's not always the case with touring. But if you do stuff safely, the opportunity to do it uh, and really enjoy it and get something out of it is huge. So just having that, uh, spending that time. There's plenty of lectures. There's plenty of guides in the UK. You can spend time on spare guides in Europe or in North America and. Mm. Um, avalanche awareness courses left right and center so you know there's a, there's a plethora of knowledge but it's um yeah it's, that's my, the one thing i'll always kind of harp on about because i have seen it when it goes wrong it's 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 fine if it happens through chance but it's really annoying if it happens through um either lack of knowledge or complacency yeah that's that's, that's, a, that's a good show um we were um, uh, we were chatting a little bit earlier on and we touched on sustainability and kind mm. of the 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 uh overall life cycle of things and uh you know you know i think i'd be remiss if i was to have you here if i didn't ask sure, you, not, not cha- challenge you a little bit but uh yeah. you know because because many people would believe that uh, or argue that brands have a have a responsibility a greater responsibility for the entire life cycle of, of sure. products, whether it be skis or boots or all that sort of stuff they you know um maybe they should be last longer so they're not replaced um or if they are going to be replaced you know that they're done in a very environmental way um, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious then in terms of you know, what, what you guys are doing, what Nordica are doing with that and, and or the Technica group uh, about that. Sure. Yeah, I think um, so it's probably from our perspective, take it as a Technica group thing mm-hmm. um, because the group is you know, responsible for everything that happens underneath that umbrella. Um, and then the brands can follow where the group leads because rather than having seven different ideas, you have one goal and everyone points in that direction more likely to happen i think first and foremost is that uh, the brand at the company is, is under no illusion that it's perfect you know you start by having to do a full corporate review top to bottom find out where you're at if you know where you're at then you can start to make change mm-hmm. um which they have been doing it takes time as well you know it's not a, if you rush it you miss things um because it's not just about sustainability from the materials the product there's also human sustainability as well you know mm-hmm. how how uh, everyone who works for the company is is treated and paid and looked after no matter where they work. So there's a big review has taken place. Um, I'm not fully privy to the ins and outs of it, or it's not really, you don't want to go into the detail of it yeah. now. But one of the big things you mentioned about life cycle of product, I mean, the first thing I'd probably say with the ski industry, it is an emitter, absolutely. There's no argument there. Um, but a lot of the products that are made are deliberately made to last just by their nature. Um, so first thing is, you, you know, you're making something that should, it's not a throwaway. You, you keep it for a long time. Um, so in terms of use out of products, there is a, 
there's a lot of long-term use out. So that's the first thing, because um, you know, building something that lasts is is relevant for sure. And, and I think just by the type of industry it is, skiing requires you to build things that last, otherwise people wouldn't buy any more of them. But you're right, in terms of life cycle, um, it's it's really tricky. So the the, the Technica group and, and run by Techn led by Technica for the last year has been starting to do a recycle your boot scheme. And that's going to grow in time. And how the company thinks about producing product moving forward so that it is effectively you know, buildable. Um, but then how, you know, what do you do with it? As you say, after seven, eight years, where, where does that go? Um, and the, there's a lot of work being done on a recycling project. Um, it's still ongoing, but the, the, you know, the signs so far are really good that there's an opportunity to have um, a whole life cycle and then recuperate some of the products in the first place. There's, and there's the obvious element as well. Of, there's a lot of product out there in the market mm. now. 20 years old what can you do with that so technica group has been working pretty hard on that with a, a university in venice and um yeah in the next little while there'll be kind of some some information coming out about that but i think you know the next thing is you know you look at skis or um trying to really think about different ways of building things because mm -hmm especially with things like glue which is pretty essential it's very hard to make skis without glue um but then that makes it difficult to take apart at the end of which so really trying to um i think that's going to be the next part of innovation you know along with a product having to be innovative for a purpose it's going to have to be innovative in the way it's built in the first place so that it can be dismantled long term um but you can't make those changes overnight it it, it takes time because yeah. they are big investments um but you you know, the, the company that gets it right and is able to prove that they've gotten it right longest term will eventually come out on top. And I don't think that's not just um, stuck to the ski industry. That's that's all industry in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're, you know, they're, uh, I think Mitsa, where well, the skis are made, is almost carbon neutral at the moment because the entire roof of the factory is, uh, yeah, it's got solar panels over all of it. So they're almost mm -hmm. able to make, you know, generate a, a large portion of the power, which for an industrial plant inside a ski town is, um, you know, it's a that's step. Pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. But they don't try, it definitely isn't trying to greenwash, that's for sure. Yeah. You get it right and then go from there. That's cool. That's interesting. I mean, uh, obviously, the um, you touched on the recycling ski boots. It'd be fascinating to mm. hear more about that. I don't know whether you either have that information or whether perhaps maybe you can share the links with us at some point, but I'm sure people would like to find more about that as well. Yeah, I think it won't be very long, but over the next little while, mm -hmm. uh, this winter definitely will become apparent to people, I'd cool. say. But yeah. Um, so oh, you, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that all these all these things are fascinating, and uh, you know, they're they're all these different elements. You know, it's mm. not just about um, you know a particular aspect of skiing or snow sports, and uh, you know, there are all these different bits and bobs that kind of come together. And uh, you know, I'm sure when you speak to people at like a, a dinner party, or if you go and you, you meet people who who you've uh, uh, perhaps at a wedding you've never met before, they kind of say, "Oh, you." You're you're involved in the in the snow sport industry. They kind of go, oh, you must go skiing all the time. Well, maybe one day a year, sort of thing. But um, what's it like when you when you go to a, a party like that and you have a conversation with people and you uh, explain to them what, what what you do? How do you how do you describe what you do for a living? I think yeah, you're you're right. The whole traveling businessman thing does seem a very romantic principle. <laughs> but to be fair, I'm I'm looking to have a lot of friends who've seen me. Maybe I'm on the back of a flight on a Friday and I'm. Maybe, maybe not quite as excitable as, as I could be, but uh, <laughs> I think trying to explain to people that it's someone who has to kind of 
I have to show shops what what they could be buying mm -hmm. and then convince them it's the right thing to do. Um, I tend to just basically say it's the same as any other salesman's job. I just happen to have picked the one where when I get to test stuff, it's it's the fun thing I want to test. I could be a, a toilet roll salesman and probably an awful lot richer yeah. <laughs> because you wouldn't want to um, show people how to test that. No, 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 not yeah. at all. But um, I think that's the, you know, the point is I've, <laughs> I've found myself working hard in an industry that um, there has to be a benefit whilst doing the job. If, if, if work isn't fun, there's no interest for me. So uh, I just try and say to people, yes, I travel a lot. I have a very understanding partner at home who does keep, keep things ticking over there, but uh, it's, it's, it's worth it, I think, um, but it's also not for everyone. Not everyone would yeah. want to travel as much as we, as, yeah. as, as, as reps have to do. So it's, um, I think at parties, more often than not, I try and not talk about work because I always find it fascinating to talk to other people about what they do. I mean, yeah, granted, people are always uh, intrigued. As to, but then if we're going to the nitty gritty of what motorway I've been driving on or what service station, yeah. then uh, people glaze over pretty quickly. So, there's a, you know, it's a lot less glamorous than you might yeah. otherwise think. Uh, but but a few times a year for sure is great. But say, well, when you're chatting to people and, and that you 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 say that what you do, uh, you know, aside from the nitty gritty of, of sure. the job, the, the, the you know, there's bound to be that that portion where they kind of oh, I, I would imagine you had two reactions. Oh, that's a that's a wicked job. Yeah. Or oh, geez, you know, I, I hate the mountains or something like that. But for, <laughs> for, for, for people who haven't spent the time that they're the, you know, the, they're not outdoorsy people. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you try to not not convince them but what do you what, what would you say to them to you try to express the the power of the outdoors to try to not convince them but to kind of get them to buy into the the, the vision of of being outdoors and, and the snow sport industry i think if you kind of like outdoors and then specifically in snow sports if you look at a ski resort as a place to be irrelevant whether you're going anywhere near the snow or not they're just unique um so i've got someone actually Here's a good example. We've got friends who are going to come uh, skiing with us this winter, one of whom is no, there's no chance they're going to do any skiing at all. But I've shown him some pictures of what it might be like just to have a coffee in the town centre on like a day. You know, you're on a holiday for a week. Could you think of anywhere better to just sit and watch the world go by? Um, you've got steep mountains. The, the More often than not, it tends to be quite sunny. And if it's not sunny, it's snowing. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, there's a there's a, a specialness that you wouldn't get mm -hmm. at, at your day-to-day -day life at home um and that breeds an atmosphere um which there's a familiarity with it because there are some similarities from the uk in terms of like the type of food maybe but served differently and um, but then it's so alien at the same time and, and there's a there's a tranquility that the mountains tends to bring to a lot of people irrelevant of why you're there um and i think i've you know that that even from when i was six seven eight the excitement of the going, the doing, the it's effort to do. It's not easy to get there, and it's not necessarily easy to do what you want to do when you get there. But there's a there's a sense of fulfilment that I think you get from an outdoor outdoors in general. But definitely, if you went to a ski resort, there's a there's a sense of fulfilment that you otherwise couldn't get. Um, and then if you happen to get the book for it and you go to different countries and do it, then it's a whole new world in the you know, skiing in Scotland is nothing like skiing in Austria. Is nothing like going to Japan or going to North America. And mm. having the central sport being skiing or snowboarding, or you know, that part of that's the reason you're there. But then each time you get to experience it in a completely new way. Uh, you know, 
what skiing means to someone it means to a japanese person in japan means something completely different to a scotsman you know in the far north here or, or someone in west coast of canada and, and there's a cultural experience you might not get necessarily on your package holiday for example sometimes you can for sure and, and i'm i'm probably not very good at uh that because i've not been on enough of them <laughs> but i think you know wherever you go you'd always have a different experience no matter what you're doing and that's that's why it's always exciting to try a winter sport i think i love that yeah no totally good i mean winter holidays are, are wonderful you don't actually need to go skiing sometimes to still enjoy the mountains no um, no um so i got a couple of i got a couple of fun questions before we wrap it up um, okay. So, uh, if they were going to be making the Mark Taylor movie extravaganza, which they who, won't, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Sure. Who would uh, who would you want to cast as uh, as yourself? As me. Let's make it uh, like a bit when I'm a bit older, and he'd have to put an accent on. But if he's still around, like it might be a Benjamin Button style, but like Michael Caine, but now. That's so funny. I was, yeah. I totally thought you were gonna say Michael Caine. I totally thought that. <laughs> You'd have to put a slightly different accent on, but yeah, something yeah. like that. Why not? He's the history gonna ski, of. He's gonna ski the bloody doors off. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And uh, what's something kind of uh, cool, unique, different that you've done that most people don't know that you've done? Uh, well, I was trying to think about bits and pieces, and maybe I should have touched on it earlier, but uh, I was once involved with a very late night rescue of three people uh, at the ski resort, which uh, if we've got time very briefly. Um, so um, I'd done a full day working at the mountain and then I was on the gondola evac, evac crew. So I was doing training uh, from like five till nine o'clock, hanging off the cables, practicing how to get people in out of the gondola. And then out of nowhere, um, a call kind of appeared that uh, three people had gone missing. Um, and uh, very short and sweet. They're very lucky that we were, you know, there was 10 of us who were practicing that night on the mountain. It's a bit like needing the lifeboat crew on lifeboat training night kind of thing. It was just very fortunate that we were there. Um, and uh, the next thing ended up with me skiing in the pitch black at 10 at night on in trees on 40 degree slopes that in the day are good fun to ski and at night is they're just hard work and terrifying shouting into the abyss in the Canadian Rockies, which I was, you know, it, it was late March, so I was a bit concerned what wildlife might be starting to wake up. But um, uh, I did ski into a deer, that terrified me because I thought it was obviously, brain went straight to wolf or bear or something, but it was a deer, so that was fine. Um, but, uh, you know, fr from there, which just looking for these people, short and sweet, they were, um, they got lost. It was exchange students who had taken themselves uh, outside of the ski resort and um, had followed tracks. Kind of goes back to my touring kind of thing before. They'd followed tracks maybe where they shouldn't have done, found themselves on the backside of a mountain that was 20 kilometers to get out of if they carried on. Wow. Um, and their host, I think, in Calgary had obviously been like, it's nine at night, they've not come back. Um, but uh, after, after I'd skied my bit and I'd found them back in Mountain Ops going in, uh, I ended up in dispatch because I used to do that a little bit. So I'm, I was helping out on the radios. And at this point, you know, a much bigger team had been arrived. The RCMP and, and the Parks Canada had started to arrive with uh, Hendo, who um, is, was the park's dog handler. And uh, that that was the saving grace watching, you know, seeing that happen. Him, uh, Hendo was, was brilliant at what he was used to do with, with his dog, I think Dog Kaz. And they managed to, and this is the look of, for these three guys, 
it was minus five, so it wasn't too cold. It wasn't windy. Uh, and the wind was going, the wind that there was was going in the right direction. So the dog from about two miles away managed to pick up the scent oh, wow. and sledding them out um, to finally found them in that spot they were found and then getting them back. But being able to be kind of part of a successful thing like that where no one was actually hurt, they all got back it fine. Um, and, you know, by this point, it was two in the morning, it was a long day kind of thing. But um, yeah, that was, that was kind of cool to be involved with. I got to do something practical and feel like I was helping. Um, I was definitely not doing any kind of leading, but to be doing, you know, something practical like that and felt it had a good successful outcome was, um, yeah, it was really quite affirming for, for having worked there for so long. So that's that was, cool. yeah. That's, that's good. There's a happy ending too. That's, that's. Yeah, and uh, they don't always happen like that. So it was yeah. a great, a great to have a happy ending for sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, speaking of endings, uh, we always like to finish the podcast with uh, our three questions. So, um, we're going to line them up and ask you. Okay. Uh, so the first one is if somebody had a word, a phrase uh, that encapsulates the Nordica brand, what would that be? Uh, trust. Cool. Like that. Uh, what would you like your sporting legacy to be? Uh, hopefully that I've helped people enjoy what they're doing along the way, whether it be inspiring fit literally or hopefully i've sold enough product that people have used it so yeah if i've helped some other people get interested or continue then that's enough more than enough that sounds a really uh, really great legacy and finally as an individual who do you think a legend is and why um i got i got stuck between like a legend and a hero before so if you'll indulge me very briefly a hero of mine is seth morrison mm -hmm. he's definitely a hero um, and he is a legend in his own world as well but in terms of a legend of a brand I think it's it's that person who doesn't necessarily work for the adulation but is so committed to the brand that they're working for that they're dependable they're always the person you can go to for help they're always there to give good advice um, and you know the company I work with there's a few of them who are they are stalwart brand people um, they give advice both up and down and they'll give you the time if you're new that person you can just always depend on to kind of keep you centered and and, and keep the brand centered as well having those people in a company like that is what helps drive that laser focus as to what the brand should be um so for me the, the, the legends you stick with things for thick and thin because it, that's their passion that that's a real legend i think cool love it Brilliant. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time and us catching up. It's been lovely. I'm sorry it's been so long. Uh, That's very kind of you to have me on. Uh, well, no, it's great. And uh, if people want to find out more about you, about the brand, um, where do they go? How do they find out more? How do they connect? Uh, my agency is called Mark Trails. On Instagram, it's mark.trails. Um, people can find the products and brands that I sell here and then maybe some pictures and bits and pieces of me skiing. Um, uh, otherwise, Nordica.com is the font of all knowledge for everything to do with Nordica, especially where you can buy and where you can try. Brilliant. Cool. Well, lovely. Well, thank you very much for everything. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll connect with you soon. And um, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Phil. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at legendsofthebrand.com. That's info at legendsofthebrand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch. And make sure to check out the show notes also at all the W's at legendsofthebrand.com. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.